I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing book six, Christie's Big Day. I'm so excited to hear your one sentence summaries for this one, you guys. Uh, I'll start with mine. The babysitters run an impromptu day camp while Christie's career gal mother has to make all the gross canapes for her wedding by herself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mine is very different from that. Mine is... 14 children and their five babysitters spend a week being indoctrinated into heteronormativity and the wedding industrial complex. Wow. Okay, so mine's a little bit different from that. Mine is Chrissy's mom gets married to a rich dude who, for some reason, has three toasters. (laughs) Yeah, that is a puzzler. I think those work very well together, actually. Yeah, Yeah, I think that then you've got all of them. Wait, wait, you guys, we should probably tell you about the members of the club. I mean, podcast. (laughs) I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual and I like health food. I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. I'm Anna Chikala, a freelance writer, a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. If you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, you can check out our prologue episode. So... Christie's big day. I was, you guys, to be honest, I was hoping big day referred to when Christie finally gets her period, but <laughs> no, they no, never get different. their period. <laughs> no, it was not her big day. Yeah. No. Um, I, I'm excited to hear a lot from you, Emily. I'm reading, this has always been my, my favorite. Um, this is, it's tied for me with Boy Crazy Stacy. I love this book. And, um, but reading it this time, I, uh, a little more critically, I was like, is this why I cared about my wedding? Is it all because of Christie's big day? 1000%. (laughs) There's no doubt in my mind (laughs) that this is where you learned that girls like weddings, especially Christie's. (laughs) Right? Because otherwise I feel like I may not have um, come in there. So yeah, I would love to hear from you first. I think you're, uh, your one sentence summary says a lot of it, but this is really like a big advertisement for the wedding industrial complex in a lot of ways. Holy hell. I was like, Oh my God, we get it. Like boys are boys. Girls are girls. Girls marry boys and they make families like whole, Oh my God. Just every, even, even down to the introduction of like Christie's other family members, you know, you get, you meet Nanny for the first time and she's like, she knits sweaters, she bakes cookies. And Christie also has like a creepy uncle she doesn't like. And he's like weird and boring. And then her cool aunt is like the young one. And I don't know. Just well, so that, that tracks, right? That tracks, yeah. <laughs> just saying. Oh, yeah, their auntie's <laughs> listening. <laughs> um, but there's just, I mean, very rigid and stereotypical gender norms up the wazoo in this. And so many of them tied into the wedding. It was really interesting to me. Like in the very beginning, in the first chapter, when Watson and Edie (laughs) (laughs) and and Christy's mom, Elizabeth, um, are asking the kids to be in the wedding. They're all talking about like which parts they'll play. And there's a moment where, um, Chrissy's mom says, oh, Andrew can escort you to Karen after Watson asks if she wants to be the flower girl. And then Sam says, what does that make him? The flower boy? And everyone, ah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> like, what a, like, right. everyone except Andrew. Right. And then when we calm down, he said softly, like, how long did that laugh last about the, the idea of there being a flower boy? The horror. <laughs> like, and that's in the first, that's on page 10. <laughs> <laughs> I also thought... I also thought them putting on a play of a wedding was a little weird. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like that's how some of those kids are two and three. And like, that's where they're learning. 
oh, boys marry girls, boys kiss girls at their wedding, girls are flower girls, boys are, are groomsmen, boys um, ring, bear rings, women are bridesmaids, like all that mm-hmm. stuff. And it's like just a t- completely taken for granted part of a child's play. I was like, wow, that happens young. I don't remember playing wedding as a kid. Mm-hmm. This, so basically this book needs to be burned. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Ezra's so upset. <laughs> well, it's really interesting as you say that because I like can feel my internal struggle as a person who really loves weddings and has been to a lot of non-heteronormative weddings as well. But that, like, that, uh, like, I know intellectually that everything you're saying is true, and I'm like, yes, absolutely. But also, I still like it. Like, I, you know, and there's that that struggle, which, of course, is with a lot of pop culture. Right. I mean, there's a lot of horrific things that can be enjoyable to watch that are really problematic for lots of reasons. Um, And I like do I still like in my heart of hearts when I look up at a wedding happening, do I like to see a line of matching dresses on one side and a line of suits on the other? Yes, I like it. I'm just going to admit it. I, 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 that's not in line with my values. Like I don't, I don't think that that's the only way it should be or that it's right or anything like that. I do think it's aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, no, I, I feel you. Like I cringe every time a wedding ceremony includes like deeply gendered language about, you know, women's roles and men's roles in a partnership or when I, I don't even like when fathers give their daughters away. I think it's creepy and Mm -hmm. weird. But like, Mm -hmm. do I always cry during it? Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I think it's this book's fault. (laughs) I mean, you're probably (laughs) right. And I burn it. (laughs) (laughs) And slow down. Kicked off iTunes for advocating book burning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There were two things that I thought were cool, though, that were sort of in the realm of, of... stuff around gender. I liked that we see Sam and Charlie, they're still like total boys. And there's a moment when Christy's like, ugh, boys between 14 and 16 are stupid as though that's just like sort of taken for granted as true and inevitable. But there is a a couple moments where Sam and Charlie are trying to help Christy figure out, okay, like what's our new family going to be like? And Mm -hmm. like, to what extent is Watson going to be our dad? And I think that the book really dealt well with questions around that. It didn't destabilize any like men's roles, women's roles thing, but I think it did do a good job of kind of opening up the possibility of like a different familial formation, like one that we might think of as being more amenable to like a blended or made queer family. But Uh Anna Martin like does not take us there at all. She just like gestures that like, oh, made families are just as important and meaningful as, you know, given families, but like the one we're given or the one we're that's made here is still like very traditional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do love that brother conversation that's in chapter four and I wrote that down and how they're just like helping her through it and acknowledging that it's not really easy. She just is like, I know I, can, you know, can I ask Watson for a couple dollars? What if, if he was my real dad and he was a millionaire, he could buy me a VCR for my room, but can I ask him for a VCR for my room? And I yeah. think Charlie says something like, those are big questions, which I was like, oh, no, okay. I think he's just heavy. <laughs> Like he comes in, like Christy and Sam are having this conversation and she said, I heard a voice behind me. These are some heavy questions. And Charlie comes in to, you know, and that's like the one moment that at least in my memory of these books where the brothers are even remotely parentified to call Mm -hmm. back to our previous episode. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe there's more of that later. Yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I'm not sure. So much wedding. Oh my God. Okay. So in spite of my beef with the heteronormativity of it all. Tell us why you love, why you love it so much as <laughs> oh, why I love uh, weddings or why I love this book. This book. <laughs> I love this book a lot. So, I mean, we haven't really gestured to the, the overall plot, right? So basically, and, and Christy says in chapter two, um, you know, uh, my, my, our plans, my mom's no, no, plans. Fell said apart. It. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Stop. She gets married to a rich guy who has three toasters or whatever. Okay, fair. But she, they have to do it. 
So Christy says, my mom's plans, the wedding fell apart in one big glump, which I, which I really like that uh, non-word to describe what happened. So basically the house sells much faster than they think it's going to. And a bunch of th- stuff happens with Elizabeth's job where she has to go on a business trip to Europe when it was supposed to be the wedding. Um, and so then they have to have the wedding in two weeks and they have to move in a month. Um, and so everything changes from when they had all the time to plan it. And so that's how the babysitters club, all of these relatives come into town. Um, and they all have, this was another kind of well, I was wondering like all well, they have relatives so many kids. and yeah, there's so many kids. Everybody has three or four children. No one has just a singleton or two kids. Um, and so I was like, is it because they're all really wealthy? Is it because they're all just, or just, it makes a better story. Um, I don't know how much Anna Martin was thinking about that, but the, it, there end up being 14 kids that need to be watched so that all the adults can do this like DIY wedding in 1986 because it's happening so quickly. Which is total BS because why are they like Etsying over there when Watson is a millionaire and could easily just pay people to do all the stuff for them? Yeah. I mean, Elizabeth makes reference to that in the beginning that um, if she asks wedding professionals to do this on such short notice, they'll laugh at her. Specifically, she said, I need crab crepes for 300 and they'll say, Oh, when is the wedding October? And I'll say no next week. And they'll laugh at me, but also who puts crab in crepes? It sounds really bad. Like, uh, this is how you Rich know it's people not... people in Connecticut? I guess. <laughs> I guess. In 1986. <laughs> yeah, so you, you think, because he has enough money, they could find somebody willing to do this on short notice, Anne? That's your thought? 100%. Okay. I think you're right. Fair enough. I love all of the stories of, of the way they organize this whole day camp where they're watching these 14 kids from nine to five for five days. I mean, part of it, this is like, uh, as a kid who loved kids, um, this was interesting to me. I like how they come together and organize it. The the chapter where they list all of the kids in age order and divide them into groups and assign some of them pink hearts and some of them green dinosaurs and like decide who's going to be the counselor for each group is like burned into my consciousness. So I, I just... It was hard for me to look at it critically. Is this why you have to organize our Google Docs? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. But that's more of a, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I just, I just love it. I love that this is the first emergency. There's also a lot of uh, BSC firsts in this book. This is the first emergency meeting. Um, No, it's not. It's not? Marianne calls one when they have a fight. Oh, you're right. Good call. Just kidding. It's the first time Christy calls one, I think. Sure. Um, Um, it's the first time we hear about someone being a very good whiner because they can turn something into multiple syllables. (laughs) That is a single syllable thing. This is Anna Martin loves this idea. Anne's been kind of hooked on that for years. Should we, should we all try this? (laughs) I'm sure that's going to be really pleasing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's a thing to do on a podcast. Let's Let's do it. I think we should do it. (laughs) Um, what's a good one syllable word? Oh, what did David Michael say? Why don't we whine Anne at you? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, Anne's one syllable. Okay, Emily, you go first. Okay. Anne. <laughs> that's oh, pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. I'm thinking more like Anne. Okay, that's disturbing. Fine. You sound more like. Uh, like a baby crying? Well, you know, <laughs> what do you think whining is supposed to sound like? True, right. true. Um, I just, I like it. I like this book. I don't, I, I can't really defend why I like this book, but I, but I like it. One, one psychology thing that came up that I was really pleased with was, um, you know, Christy is, is pretty scared about all of this. She's, you know, the, there's a lot for the club on the line, right? There's, this is a big business opportunity and she's worried about disappointing people's there. The, some of the kids are friends of Watson's, you know, kids, they're not her family members. And it's this big responsibility she's taking on. And she says to herself in chapter seven, you know, if you think you're courageous, you'll be courageous. And she basically uses this strategy of, faking it till you make it and sort of, um, doing the opposite of how you feel to change your mood and be able to go forward, which is, I like that she encourages that in Marianne as well. You know, she Mm -hmm. keeps noting like 
she said yes, even though she didn't look like she meant it, but we're, we're going to go ahead and affirm that anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. She like reinforces bravery in everybody else by acting brave herself and letting people move ahead. So I like that pit. I like that piece of it. Were, did you guys think that the way that they volunteered to split up the age groups fit with what we know about them so far that Stacy wanted the older kids and Marianne wanted the babies? Yeah, I feel like sure. Stacy was the one who was really into the idea of babysitting Lucy, Jamie Newton's baby sister in the other book. I think they're all obsessed with Lucy. Mm-hmm. Just because um, they like the Newtons so much. Yeah. yeah. And it was like an exciting new baby. Mm-hmm. But like, a you know, a little tiny newborn is different from, you know, Beth and Tony. The name Tony for a baby cracked me up so me much. Too. Every time that the, that character was mentioned, I was laughing. I know. Why is it so funny? Obviously, all the grown-up Tonys had to be babies at some point, but yeah, it just I seemed hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I pictured him as like a very small, like Italian man. I, I did not, but I still thought it was a funny name for a baby. I, I agree with you. <laughs> the other thing I really liked was even though it is very, very heteronormative, so you're not wrong, um, but I I liked that it's about Christy in this um, kind of ritualized femininity story and that she doesn't, um, she doesn't make a big deal out of that. It's, it's, she doesn't paint Christy as like a contradiction or, you know, up to this point, Christy's been a tomboy and then she's excited to wear this pretty dress and excited to wear her first pair of heels in her mom's wedding. And those two things can coexist, right? Mm -hmm. I I think so often, and I think worse now in our culture than before, we're always looking to like catch people for being hypocrites or being in contradiction with themselves or inconsistent, Um, inconsistent, right. When the reality is that all humans are inconsistent and we all contain a lot of different polarities or dialectics. And so we, we, it's okay to mostly just want to play softball and hang with the crushers and then occasionally get excited about wearing your yellow dress and your dyed yellow mid eighties pumps to your mom's wedding, you know? Also the dress that Claudia picks out for her, for her mom's rehearsal dinner. Did oh, you yeah. catch the description was, of it? Did, did it have dragons on it? <laughs> no. Uh, we got to find that. Uh, it's on the bottom of page 133. Oh, it's, I don't know why I thought dragons. Just cut that part out. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to leave it. <laughs> <laughs> Claudia helped me choose a new dress the week before. It was a gigantic white sweater with silver designs woven into it. It was a very unchristy type dress, and I felt glamorous. What is a gigantic white sweater with silver designs woven into it? <laughs> the, I think I, I mean, read designs as dragons. I, like, wanted it to be dragons. <laughs> but those gigantic sweaters were very big in the mid-80s. Like, big bag sweater dresses. Mm-hmm. But also, would you wear that in Connecticut in June? No. That, Seems like it would be so hot. Yeah. So I liked that piece of it. Um, Emily, I was wondering what you thought about the economics because I I took the liberty of, you know, so they get paid $600 total and then they get a $10 bonus. So $650 in today's dollars is a little over $1,500, which means that each babysitter was paid about $750 an hour for these 40 hours of work. Um, with all of these young children. And I just, um, I know they were very excited, but it it seems a little, seems a little low to me for the, for the workload. Yeah, a lot. Well, it's also interesting though, because now, because the economy has changed so much in the last, you know, since the seventies, like care work is a bit more of a commodity than maybe it was in the eighties. And so, I mean, like it, you know, in some place like New York city, it's like a dense, labor market and there's, you know, high ends of, um, of it. And then there's like the exploitative kind of end of it. And so I think what we're seeing is something that kind of doesn't exist anymore. Like that you would pay kids that little money to to watch your children for that long is like not really a reality of what care, what the landscape of care work would look like, unless it's just like a situation where, you're, you're just keeping care among the family and that's really what's going on. And the, the payment is just sort of like a, a, a little bit of an incentive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I like, mean, they, 
you've never paid me to watch your children, but you like buy groceries Ooh, and that kind of thing. No, I, I mean like yeah, yeah, right, right. But you would never be like, this is your hourly rate. Like here, when you're watching your family member, it's like an excuse to fly to California and spend time with kids who I love, right? Like right. that's what it is. And so I think this is probably more like that than like mm-hmm. act- an actual like market <laughs> uh, of price of care work. But I don't know. It's interesting. It's very little money. <laughs> that makes sense to me. That makes sense. Yeah. And I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't expect it to be a ton more than that because it is a collective effort, right? Um, but it just seemed a little seemed a little low, but they're all, they all are just 12 and 13 too. It's not yeah. like this is like a 17 year old with a Red Cross certification or something. But Anne pointed out earlier the fact that Sam is, like, incredulous about that number. He's like, what? $600? Yeah, but he's thinking about it for one person, you know, not divided five-wise. That makes sense. Also, my husband, Micah, when I told him about how much they were getting paid, he was he also said, what? That's, that's too much money. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but it's between, like, all these babysitters and there's, like, 14 kids. He's like... I don't know. That sounds like a lot of money to me. <laughs> I love the idea that Micah's like really invested in the plots of these folks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> He's very invested. He's running along. That's awesome. That's about all I have. I think I, I like that Christy can be complex and everybody's not incredulous about it. But I feel like there's a lot of pop culture in this book, and you, you must have a lot to say. Well, I mean, there's I have, I have thoughts about several things in the book. One, I do want to discuss Watson's three toaster ovens <laughs> because that, out of all the things in his house, that was like noted as a, a signifier of wealth <laughs> was like three toaster ovens. Um, like, what is? Why would someone need three toaster ovens? I mean, does he have multiple kitchens? First of all, I don't think we have any reason to believe he has multiple kitchens. Do they have different uses? The toaster ovens are they like? You know, I just I just sort of assumed that. Settings. Yeah, I just sort of assumed that someone gave him them, and he has like extra unopened boxes in the basement or something in case the one breaks. Uh, or he just like buys it. It's like an iPhone. Like every year when it comes out with a new model, he yeah. buys the new one, and then he just keeps the old one in a box. <laughs> <laughs> were toaster ovens the iPhones of nineteen eighty six? Or I guess we're in eighty seven now already. So yes, we're in eighty. 80- <laughs> You're going to be alive soon, Emily. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, I own a toaster oven. Do you guys own a toaster oven? No. No. Oh. I mean, toast bread. (laughs) There's not much else. Time out, time out. Are you explaining to us what a toaster (laughs) oven does? I mean, theoretically, you could also, like, cook a small batch of cookies in it or reheat your food like chicken fingers, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's the microwave before, I guess, people, they were super common. What else can it do? Uh, it can um, make meatloaf if you put it in there for a really long time. I don't know. I don't think that's true. Yeah, it's like a, it's a, a toaster oven is just a mini oven. So it can do anything a big oven does, but it's small. Where does it rate on the scale from easy bake to real oven? (laughs) I mean, I think it's, um, it has the convenience of an easy bake, but the power of a real oven. And did you get some sponsorship money that we don't know about (laughs) from a toaster oven company that you're trying to pocket for yourself? Oh, no. I mean, I assume, though, that he owns, it's like a sunbeam. (laughs) Which are excellent, excellent toaster ovens. Dude, don't give it away for free. Sunbeam, if you'd like a sponsorship deal <laughs> on Stuck in Stony Brook, you can give us a call. Yeah, we, we have a lot of things to say. <laughs> we have a lot of things to say about your product, apparently. Yeah. Emily well, and I also, do know. I can't tell if if it's like, oh, Watson has can't afford so much bread that he just like toasts a whole <laughs> loaf every morning just because it's like, you know. What? Yeah. Oh wait, you guys. Okay, so dough is also you know slang for money. So oh, he stores all of his money in two of his toaster. Yeah, ovens. he's just burning through dough, burning through that money. He's so rich. Burn all my money. 
many of those three testers. There are so many layers of nuance to this book in the way that Anna Martin keys <laughs> us into his wealth. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Anyway, I, I felt that was weird because as an owner of a Sunbeam toaster oven, it's not really, it's kind of a big, it's, it's like, it takes up a lot of counter space. So I'm imagining his counter was just like a line of toaster ovens. Well, look, when the family, actually, so this is the first thing you've said that's made sense to me. Once, (laughs) uh, once all those Thomas kids move in, getting ready for school in the morning, if Karen and Andrew are also Mm -hmm. there, that's a lot of breakfasts that have to happen. And maybe they do need more than one toaster oven simultaneously. I have another theory. Okay. Okay. He had, has three toaster ovens. He also has three couches. Mm -hmm. So what if Watson has like crazy OCD and he needs to have three of everything. So his house is just full of trios of everything. Well, it doesn't even have to be as bad as OCD. He could just think that like three is a, like an appropriate reflection of some sort of social status. And so he buys everything. Oh yeah. I thought Emily, I thought you were going to go with like law of attraction, like the secret, like three is on his dream board. And so he thinks that like, that's what maintains his wealth. Like as long as he's getting things in triples, if he doesn't buy things in triples, he's going to be poor. Yeah. It's like what brings um, all the good things to him. It's probably Mm -hmm. why he met Elizabeth slash Edie. Mm. I like this. <laughs> Watson's super surface. No wonder he's like fine with Mrs. Porter, you know? Oh my God. Okay, what, can we move on from the toaster oven, <laughs> Anne? Even though you're pocketing like some secret sunbeam <laughs> money that you're not sharing with the, your co-hosts. <laughs> well, okay, so also on the topic of Watson, what do you guys think? How, how has he made his money? Is it toasters? <laughs> oh, maybe he has three toaster ovens because he works for a company that makes them sunbeams <laughs> he works for sun- he's a sunbeam he's uh, executive, executive. <laughs> executive. <laughs> okay i feel like that is officially in the stuck in stony brook universe until we hear different that's watson's job he's the ceo <laughs> he's the ceo of, of sunbeam, sunbeam. Yeah. we solved the baby <laughs> <Club>. <laughs> yeah which and toast robins were getting really big in the late 80s so i can see why he made his fortune Wait, are you saying that like fact? (laughs) I remember when people started getting toaster ovens. I think the Robinsons had one first before your family or my family had one, Anne. Oh, okay. Um, Another thing um, I want to talk about is Stacey's obsession with the movie Mary Poppins. Yeah, I love that movie. I think I had mentioned in a previous episode that there wasn't a lot of pop culture indicators of the personalities, but I was wrong. Because I forgot yeah. about Mary Poppins and Stacy's devotion to this movie. She watches it once a week. <laughs> which it's is it's a kind of a long, it's like two and a half hours. So she's, she's only child. child. Yeah, she's only child. She's watching this one tw- once a week on her uh VCR. But it's interesting because I feel like when you're at that age, you you like glom onto things that you you feel like are extensions of her personality mm-hmm. like for our listeners as me's favorite movie is little shop of horrors and how old were you when you first watched that movie and kind of decided like this is this is my jam uh eight the same age at which i started reading the babysitter's club and apparently started planning my wedding i think that's just <laughs> my whole personality was formed in 1986 <laughs> when we decided to stop being a Marianne and start being a Christie. Oh, that was a few years later. I think uh, the BSC and Little Shop of Horrors gave me that courage. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, maybe as me, your, your background here can help us, but like, what can you say about kids sort of like, forming their personalities around what they, what they like and the things that, you know, they associate with. That's interesting. I think there's, um, kids do get really into like fandom and collections around eight, nine, 10. 
Like those are times when kids really like to collect and you can see that through trends of things that get super, super popular, right? So like the initial wave of the Kenner three and three quarter inch first action figures, the Star Wars figures were like, you have to, you know, you get on the back of the car. That's interesting that you had that example already. (laughs) Oh yeah. It just has nothing to do with the rest of my life. But, or like when my little ponies were really big, when we were young, they're big again now, but you know, you, you know, collecting things and, um, sort of amassing stuff that you're interested in and, and sort of collecting facts about it is, is a common developmental stage. Um, I don't know if, you know, for a long time I had like questions about like, why did I like little shop of horrors so much? Cause it's kind of a sick little story, but it's also a comedy. Um, so I think, I, I don't know that state it's interesting. So you, so you're, you're positing that Mary Poppins has something to do with who Stacy is. It's not just a yes. thing that she loves. Yes. So draw those personality lines for me. I don't know that I can find you an evidence-based method of projecting Stacy's personality onto Mary Poppins. Well, I think it's interesting because Stacy is sophisticated and she comes from, she's from New York and she's kind of seen as this more mature Mm-hmm. Um, girl whereas Mary Poppins is it's a kids movie it's, it's a musical there's a lot of imagination a lot of animals um it's not it's not like a you know grown-up movie but she has attached herself to this movie which you know maybe she saw it when she was younger mm-hmm. like when she was eight and it you know she just kind of identified with it somehow. I mean, I really like who doesn't like Mary Poppins. It's a great movie. Yeah. Monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Monsters don't like Mary Poppins. I don't think, I don't think Buddy would like Mary Poppins. Um, no, he doesn't like girls. And Mary Poppins doesn't like girls. Yeah. Especially girl babysitters. Wait, 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 wait. We're slamming Buddy Barrett. That was not Buddy. That was Rob. Jamie. Oh, Rob. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Like, chill out. Poor Buddy sorry, Barrett. Buddy Barrett. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I just think it's interesting that maybe she's, it's like a, her, her kid self, that's like a remnant of her, of her kid self and like her, she's kind of using that as, I don't know, like maybe she doesn't want to grow up or like maybe she feels, you know, in the books, she's, she's seen as being very comfortable and confident, but Mm -hmm. I think this shows that she's still a kid. But Mary Poppins is also very confident. That's true. Uh, I think that one of the things that's interesting, though, is that she talks about it or Christy's retelling of the way Stacey's framing, like her desire to take the kids to see this movie is kind of a way that adults would talk about things that they love. Right. She's like, I couldn't I wasn't going to miss a chance to see it on the big screen again. And then she's like really disappointed with how poorly behaved that her babysitting charges are. And then when she finally gets out of her mood on like how they ruined it for her, she's just resigned. Like, I guess I can always watch it on television. You know, that's like mm-hmm. not a very kind of childish way to treat, um, you know, a cultural artifact that you love. It's kind of. Oh, yeah. It's kind of it's grown important. Up. Yeah, it's like really important that you respect the sort of sanctity of the experience of seeing it on the big screen. And I was like, I, I do think there's a bit of a pull there between like her child self and her adult self. And this yeah. this thing that she loves is like working on her in both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, also on the topic of Stacy, um, Christy describes her in the beginning of the book. And she says, like Claudia, Stacy enjoys looking good. She enjoys putting together outfits and she enjoys shopping. So does her mother, who has time for such things. Ooh, yeah, mad what? shade. Mad Damn, shade Christy. from Kristen Amanda. Yeah, that's rough. That's rough. So what do we think about Stacy's mom? Does she work for Sunbeam? Does she <laughs> have a lot of money to spend on shopping? Is she a stay-at-home mom? She is a stay-at-home mom. So they've said that before, that Stacy's mom doesn't work. And so I took it as sort of a shots fired thing from Christy in the world of like working moms versus stay at home moms. Stay at home mom was not a term that we really used in the eighties. She would have been called a housewife. I feel like. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that was, um, that was definitely shots fired, you know, and the thing that it had me thinking about, honestly, that I wrote down was um, I wanted to know if fountains of Wayne were talking about Mrs. McGill Mm. Um, if she has like all this time to look good and, um, she's taking care of herself and Stacy's obviously learned to like take care of her appearance, um, 
from somewhere. And so I don't know. I don't know what you think about that. RIP, RIP Adam Schlesinger, who we lost recently far too young, but maybe we can analyze some of his words. Yeah. Yes. Founders of Wayne, a great band. Um, Stacy's mom is probably their big mainstream hit, even though they had several albums before this album. Yeah. Uh, So let's take a look at the lyrics. Let's go, you know, line by line, see what we can find out here. Begins with Stacy's mom has got it going on. Sure. This is McGillis. We, we've deduced hot, probably. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Then we have Stacy. Can I come over after school? Sure. So, what's the point of view here? Like, who who's talking? Is this like uh, Pete Black talking? Is this you know Jamie Newton? <laughs> Maybe it's Sam. <laughs> Oh, maybe it's Sam. Oh, it could be Sam. Yeah. <laughs> I was going with Pete Black because I feel like Sam is interested in Stacy specifically, but maybe mm-hmm. he's interested in Stacy until he meets Stacy's mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is a line that says, Did your mom get back from her business trip? Which uh, would not track. No, that would But then it all. goes into, You know, I'm not the little boy that I used to be. I'm all grown up now. Oh. So you're okay. really sticking with this. It's a babysitting charge line of yeah, interpretation yeah, we're, here. Now we're back to Jamie Newton. <laughs> yeah. Or okay. maybe it's Rob. <laughs> uh, and yeah. If it is Rob, it takes on a creepy, a creepy vibe. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. we're giving Rob too much airtime in this podcast. I do too. I'm not talking about him. I'm done, <laughs> done with Rob, especially with your disgusting theory that he might be an incel. I just want to <laughs> not. Not him bring him not bring him up anymore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I've waited for so long. Stacy, can't you see? You're just not the girl for me. I know it might be wrong, but I'm in love with Stacy's mom. So here's my theory. I think it is about Mrs. McGill, but he's stuck in the line about the business trip to throw other people off track. Mm. What about like the fact that Stacy is spelled differently? Stacy's also spelled wrong. But I feel like that's a, I mean, how often do people leave the E off your name, Anne? I feel like men don't expl- don't, don't pay much attention to how women's names are spelled. Also, maybe they just didn't want to be too obvious about who this was about. Again, yeah. it's a subterfuge. Well, I think it's really interesting because so far the only two options are that a middle school boy is clever enough to engage in subterfuge or com- like oblivious enough to not really know what Stacy's mom does or how Stacy's name is spelled. <laughs> <laughs> right. The second one seems more likely to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so another thing about Stacy on the topic, Stacy, lots of Stacy time for me today is her swatch watch. Oh yeah. Which is another thing. Esme, I feel like you have a lot of things in common with Stacy in this book. <laughs> you know, what age were you know when you started wearing swatch watches? <laughs> Were you eight? Yeah. It was in third grade. It was. I got my first swatch watch in third grade. And I have literally worn a swatch watch on my left wrist all of the time since then for the past 34 years, except for now, because it broke on the first day of shelter in place and I can't go to the watch store. Mm-hmm. But um, soon maybe I can get it fixed. So. You know, you know, I know that today's episode is about Christie's big day, but I think what this episode is really about is how Esme has not changed in like <laughs> all all her like biggest personality traits and likes in life. I'm sorry, pause. <laughs> um, are we stating that my biggest personality traits are that I read the Babysitters Club, I like Little Shop of Horrors, and I wear a swatch watch? Yeah. And you well, were we can... really excited about your wedding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those you four. Know, we haven't talked about Converse yet, just because it hasn't come up in the book. But how old were you when you started wearing Converses? No, I think Esme's taking issue with those as personality traits. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. <laughs> Thank you. And not as just things she likes. <laughs> I... Thank you. I think not one of those is a personality. And in fact, I'm going to, again, throw okay. my PhD in psychology into the ring and say not one of those is a personality trait. Okay, they are personality traits, but they say things about you. Do they? I think what we've learned from this episode is that Esme is a little bit of a Stacy. Yeah. Which is 
<laughs> Again, only if you're defining it by things that I also Little Shop of Horrors and Mary Poppins are not the same. They're, they're both musicals. <laughs> oh, man. And they have imaginary things in them. <laughs> so they're the same. Formulated that taste, we presume, at eight. <laughs> right. We don't have that data. You guys are crazy. Okay. <laughs> Let's let's move along. Um, we, we, yes, they they also compare her to Madonna. Actually, Christy compares Stacy to Madonna and Claudia to Madonna in this book. So I think your our, our discussions of Madonna from early on were were pretty spot on. They were spot on. Do we think that one of the babysitting charges, forgetting only of Claudia's name, is some casual racism happening? It could yeah. be. I don't. I didn't mark the page, but it's like. They one of the kids that they're babysitting basically uses all of their names in, like in one sentence and then leaves out Claudia's and just ends with what's her name. <laughs> yeah, I was like, ooh. Uh, there was there was uh, on top of Claudia, which reminds me, um, there's a page where they all go to Chrissy's new room in Watson's house, and they talk about how big her room is, mm-hmm. and Claudia's like, you could you could have a mural on that wall. Which, you know, and it just, it just made me think that Claudia's definitely thinking about what she would paint mm-hmm. on Christmas ball. And I, I, I couldn't, I, I was like imagining like, oh, what would, what kind of mural would, would Claudia paint? Because we don't, we know she's very artistic and she's very talented. Mm-hmm. And she painted that still life of, who was it in that, in book two? Mimi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but she wouldn't paint a mural of Mimi, obviously. No, okay. no, no. But would it be something I wonder what her style what her style is? They don't really they don't really go into that. Well, I think that there's also a question around whether she would want she would paint something like in the spirit of Christie or whether she would paint something that's almost like in her own style in Christie's room. <laughs> okay. So if it wasn't the spirit of Christy, what would it be? Would it be like a clipboard and like <laughs> a megaphone? Her collie, her collie Louie. Yeah. And like a, a bat and ball. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you could do a nice like landscape of a softball field with a sunset, you know? I think it mm-hmm. works. Yeah. And then if it was Esme's mural, it'd be like a splash <laughs> Yes. And like Audrey too. Yep. My personality on a wall. <laughs> Sounds right. Sounds right. That's what people think of me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, what if it, I mean, do you think it would be, I, I, I don't know. She might do something like a big Diego Rivera type situation i could mm-hmm. i could see it i don't know i think claudia can do lots of stuff yeah but i would like to i don't know in uh the other books they're going to get into art style if they ever do that but that is something i wish uh anna martin would have talked about more i bet we'll hear more about it in claudia books yeah that's true oh <laughs> maybe should we talk about the family tree <laughs> so one of the running plots in the book is that Chrissy does not know what to get her mom and Watson as a wedding present. And she can't think of anything because, you know, Watson has so much money. What could she possibly buy them? Another toaster oven? I don't think so. So in the end, she thinks of this great idea, which is making a family tree for them. And when she mentioned it, I was like, oh, wow, like, what kind of family tree is she going to like? How far back is she going to go? Like, you know. And then mm-hmm. at the very end of the book, it, there's a drawing of the family tree. And it's basically just like, you know, I, before you say anything, before you say anything, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, Anna and Emily are going to talk so much shit about this family tree. Like, that was my first <laughs> thought. And I was like, and I'm going to have to sit there and take it. And it's going to make me sad. Like, go on. Well, it's not really a family tree. It's just kind of like more like a list. A list of people. Well, there are some visual indicators of how those people are connected. Some lines and some hearts and such things. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's not supposed to represent their family, their ancestry. It's supposed to represent their new blended family. 
I thought you were going to talk crap because Christy asked Claudia to help her with those little flowers she drew on an art project last year. And then they're like the most basic ass doodle daisies I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, they're not very good. I mean, they're fine. They're fine. I mean, it's cute. I feel like I keep on thinking as these characters as my age still. (laughs) But I realize how grown and they have stayed in the past. You think this is all basic for a 42-year-old to give to her parents? I think think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Anne, what's going on with Claudia's candy? So not much this not much in this book. We we just got MMs. Did those come from the still lift and portraits box? (laughs) They in fact they did. Candy lift forever. (laughs) Yeah. I, do we think it's shade that Christy mentions the name of the box twice because it's spelled wrong? I think she's just being accurate. Oh, huh. we, yeah, we know Christy's love accuracy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's me. What about Tally says? Do you guys have a guess on Tally's for this book? None. I feel like there weren't a lot. No, we got sophisticated. Mm. That is it. That's One mention. Stacy mentions. I know you guys think I'm all sophisticated, but my favorite movie is Mary Poppins. And that's the only one. We uh, we got no bossiness. We got no exotic. We got no shy. It's just sophisticated. So, yeah, it was pretty light. So um, our tallies are the same as Dawn and the Impossible 3, except sophisticated is, is rounded up to eight now for the series at large. Nice. So... Not a lot of our trope counts, um, but there were a couple social justice things that I noticed. So one is on page one, um, Karen starts talking about crazy Ben Brewer. um, And this is her grandfather that she believes haunts the third floor of the mansion. But the literal first line of the book was Ben Brewer was crazy, as crazy as anything. Um, And um, I'm fearing that um, the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill is going to have some other things to complain about, about the Babysitter's Club books going forward. I have a vague memory of an asylum being mentioned in Super Special Number 2. Um, so we'll see. But that, mm-hmm. I think, is not the best way to start a book. Um, yeah. And then uh, as they're describing what happens in a wedding to the kids, I think it's to the kids, Oh, no, it's Christy describing what a rehearsal dinner is on page 118. And she says, it turns out that on the day before the wedding, the minister or rabbi or priest and the bride and groom. And so it it sort of um, emphasizes the need that a wedding is a religious ceremony and specifically a Judeo-Christian one, Mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, of course, Mm -hmm. not accurate. So in addition to being heteronormative, it's also... Judeo-Christian normative and leaving out kind of anybody's beliefs that don't fall in that that situation. Yeah, definitely. Those are the only two that I noticed. Oh, that's another moment when their kids are redoing or putting on a play of the wedding where uh, one of the babysitters says to Karen, who's playing the bride, like, she looked beautiful in her dress. And I was like, ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lots oh, yeah. of stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what that's what Watson says to Christy as they're leaving on their honeymoon. He says, you were a beautiful bridesmaid. I'm like, uh, yeah. All right. What were the weirdest lines? What were the weirdest lines in this book? Okay. I had two that are mostly just weird out of context. One is uh, in the saga with like where Christy's retelling the difficulty with sharing two bathrooms with 14 kids and five babysitters. And she tells David Michael, you're a bluebird, go upstairs. (laughs) I thought that was funny. That is good. Uh, And then I also liked, liked when Stacy takes three kids to the movies and she says to the guy at the ticket booth, one adult and three children, please. I was like, I'm sorry, 12-year-old. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, yeah. She may be 13 by now. It's the end of seventh grade, but yes. Um, you know, but it depends on the ticket prices, right? And yeah, that was funny. How about you, Anne? Um, I wrote down one, and it was when uh, they took the boys to get their hair cut. Mm-hmm. And David M- Michael says, don't make me look like a horned owl. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I I had written down a similar line, which is, you don't, you want to make me look like an owl, don't you? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I'm like, where, I've never heard anyone be like, I don't want my hair to look like an owl before. (laughs) Yeah. And then just to make sure I looked up pictures of owls. (laughs) Cause I was like, maybe they do have human like haircuts and I don't, I didn't realize it, but nope. 
Nope. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I think Horn Val can be the winner. Yeah, I, I haven't even said mine, oh, but sorry. that's cool. <laughs> oh, you just said that that was well, yours as well. I, I did have an owl one, yes. But I, uh, so another one that I just remember from being, there's this one chapter where Dawn takes Karen and David Michael and one of the other boy cousins to like a day camp like craft activity at the local playground and Karen oh. scares all of the children there that Martians are coming that night to attack. And I think it's Burke, um, David Michael's cousin says they have ray guns and spray guns. And I, <laughs> that's <pretty weird. laughs> what? That's really weird. Ray guns and spray guns. And then this is not a weirdest line, but it just sort of supports your thesis about heteronormativity and a lot of other problematic stuff in this book, Emily, that Ashley, who's playing um, one of the cousins who's playing the mother of the bride. Oh, in yes. The play, I said, forgot to talk about that line. I was like, holy fucking shit. <laughs> she says, aren't mothers supposed to complain? Um, which I was like, oh, yeah, horrifying. I do not like that. So it's not the weirdest line. Unfortunately, it's just like reifying a lot of problematic things from our culture, but it stood out to me. Yeah. I still think don't make me look like a horned owl should be the winner. Sounds good to me. <laughs> I think I'm noticing a pattern that if there's an animal mentioned in the weirdest <laughs> line, we we're attracted to it. Yeah. That's fine by me. <laughs> so what should we pizza toast to? Toaster ovens? Sun, I think sunbeam. <laughs> what are we going to see that sweet sunbeam money in? <laughs> I feel like you've got to come clean with us. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I, I mean, mine is less generous than toaster ovens. We could go with that. I was like, how there are no gay people at all in Stony Brook, Connecticut. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what if we pizza toast to the pink clinker? <laughs> oh, yeah, yes. yeah. Let's talk about the pink clinker. Can you yeah. read the description of it, Emily? Yeah. So this is on page 60. Uh, this is Christy's grandmother, who they call Nanny, is coming to pick her up. And she says, I spotted Nanny's car when it was still a couple of blocks away. Nanny's car is easy to pick out. It's a secondhand car that's about 100 years old. LOL. And when she bought it last year, she had it painted pink. Pink, my mother exclaimed when she heard the news. For heaven's sake, why pink? Why not? Nanny had answered gaily. And then she had fastened a pink plastic flower to the antenna and hung a little stuffed koala bear from the rearview mirror. She named her car the Pink Clinker. Parentheses, it's not in very good condition. End parentheses. So this car is from 1886. <laughs> Seven, seven. We're in seven now. Oh, yeah. I just looked up what a car, I just googled eighteen eighty seven car, and it's ridiculous. It's not good. We could post that to our Instagram. Yeah, can we post that on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm into the paint picker. Excellent. Okay, fantastic. Uh, we have to doctor it and paint it pink. I mean, it's this is it's really ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Okay, so pizza toast to the pink clinker. To the pink clinker. clinker. This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna and Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram, at Stuck in Stony Brook, or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both the local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org backslash shop backslash stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling deeply generous and you want to rate and review us on iTunes, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for. 